Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that that's what this time is. Uh, We pray that this time is uh, a time when we could uh, turn our eyes to you, a time when we could focus on you, a time when you could be uh, at the center of our time together. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, as as we hear you speak, uh, we pray uh, that that would be something that would help to shape our lives that would direct us closer and closer to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that this is a time uh, when we could still all those voices that are rattling around in our heads uh, so that we could concentrate and we could listen and we could hear your voice. Amen. (coughs) Sorry. Our scripture today comes from Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible with uh, you can open it up to there, otherwise you can follow along on the, on the screens overhead. Uh, this passage is after the resurrection, this is after Jesus has, has returned to heaven. And we're starting to see just what it is that his disciples are doing. We're starting to see what their lives are looking like uh, without Christ physically present on the scene. Peter and John have gone and they've, they've healed a cripple. Uh, they've been teaching uh, people in the, in the temple and all over town and the leaders aren't happy about it. And that's where this story takes place. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power? Or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves 
whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. My high school physics teacher was named Mr. Flynn. And he, he taught other stuff. I mean, he taught some math and geometry and he taught some other science classes. But the thing that got him up in the morning, the thing that, that he woke up for, the thing that, that made him excited about his day was to come to school and teach high school physics. He was, you know, he was different. <laughs> when we were in his class, for 45 minutes every day, you could sit there and see him live out this passion. And, and the teaching and the, the experiments that we got to do and, and all the, the fun, honestly, that, that we had in that class and the enthusiasm he had for his subject matter. We were able to, to, to get a glimpse of just what it was that made him tick. And, and maybe not for everybody there, but, but it, at least for me, it, it became contagious. You know, it became contagious to the point that, that when I went to college and, and as an education major, you have to pick a field to specialize in. I picked science. You know, and I, I like biology and I like these other things, but I picked science because I wanted, I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to take more of those physics courses. I wanted to play around with all the cool toys that they have in the basement of the building there. And then when I, when I got to teach, and, and in sixth grade was the grade that, that it was broken up there that I got to teach the physical science stuff. So we got to do Newton's laws, right? Simple machines, good stuff. Yeah, batteries, light bulbs. Did any of you go to sixth grade? No one's excited about this. <laughs> One of you should be. And I start tracing back, where, where does this interest come in my life? Where, where did that start? Because it's an odd thing to enjoy. And I, I know that, I'll confess that. But I, I trace it back to that time that we got to have with Mr. Flynn, you know, to, to that time where, where someone's passion and enthusiasm and, and just, just enjoyment of, of this rubbed off on me. When I, think about, when I think about the things that I like to do for fun, right, the, the just stuff you do in your downtime, the music you listen to, the, the activities that fill those hours, a lot of it still is shaped by the, the group of people that I spent time with in college. You know, I, I spent time with these people day in, day out. I mean, we, we lived together 24-7 with a couple brief interruptions for class and, and not that often. And all of a sudden, I, I found out that there's, there's types of music other than the two or three that we have on radio stations in Northwest Iowa. I mean, there's more than just like, pop music and country music. All of a sudden in college, people from other places are, are, are showing me like what punk music is and the, the energy and the enthusiasm that they have in that. And the music can actually still involve a horn section. I mean, that was, that was great, I loved that. Where else would I have encountered that? You know, I, I played, I knew how to play chess in high school, like I knew what the pieces kinda did. 
but in college, because it was free and because we enjoyed it, we spent hours playing. So yeah, that's right. I'm the guy who liked physics and played chess for hours on end. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uncool I was compared to other people that have come up here. I'm just verifying that for you. But it, it rubbed off because, because these people I spent time with, that was what they enjoyed, and I, I grew to enjoy those things too. The years that I spent in Boyden, especially the last you know, four or five, when I was asking those questions about, okay, what is God calling me to do now? Where is God leading, leading my family and I? What is, what is my life actually about? What does it look like to be in ministry? What does it look like to, to, to care for people in that way? What does it look like to, to be a, a leader? For me, I had uh, Pastor Matt, and I met with him weekly and got to sit down and, and to ask questions. And probably more important than that, I got to have him ask me questions that I wasn't answering, that, that, that would never have popped up in my mind. I got to have him poke me where I needed to be poked, you know, to move in that direction. And that was valuable for me because there were ways I wasn't going to do that on my own. We've been talking about discipleship. And we've been talking about what it is that God wants for us in our life and, and where he wants us to go and what he's calling us to do. But, but honestly, we have this kind of Midwestern mentality, and I'd, I'd say it's probably safe to assume that after last week when we talked about what does God want you to do, a lot of you probably, if you, if you sat down and answered that question in your mind, if you thought about it, the plan that you came up with was, well, okay, God wants me to do this, and so I'm just going to go off on my own and do that, right? Because that's what we do here. We, if we want to grow, we take care of it ourselves. I love that old expression, you know, to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, where you just grab your boot and you're going to lift yourself on up to heaven but it doesn't really work. You know, we think we can do these things on our own. We think we can, we can grow in isolation. <coughs> but it doesn't work that way. I mean, there, there are examples in the Bible. There are instances where you see people and it's just, it's just them and God, you know, and, and they're doing the spiritual disciplines and they're doing these things and they grow that way. But overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly when people are changed, overwhelmingly when discipleship happens, it, it happens in relationship. It happens because there are other people there to guide and to shape us in our faith. If we think about this passage, I mean, I, I love this passage because when you read this, you can see the contrast in just chapters from where Peter and, and John were before where there's opposition and they run away, where people question them and they deny Jesus. And in this one, they're standing in front of the exact same people who crucified Jesus. And when they're asked the question, you know, whose name, whose name are you doing this in? And, and they're asked, how do you get the power to heal people? How do you get the power to proclaim the kingdom? How do you get the power to, to talk about, about who Jesus is? And, and this time, this time they're not backing down. This time they're not, they're not hiding that. And the thing that stands out to the religious leaders isn't, boy, these people really have something special about them. It's these people must have been with Jesus. The shaping that happened in their lives 
took place from those years that they had in contact with him. It took place from the, the day after day after day that they spent together, that Jesus got to ask them questions, that they asked him questions, that they were inspired by who he was and the things they saw him doing, the, the times when, when just being in his presence kind of rubbed off on them. And all of a sudden, what is it about Peter and John? What is it that stands out? It's that they had been with Jesus. They had spent that time being discipled by someone. It was the relationship that changed them. It was the relationship that they had that turned them into disciples. When we think, when we think about examples in the Bible, I mean, it, it's easy to start with these disciples, and, and that's, that's generally where my mind goes, but it happens time after time after time. Moses finally realized that he couldn't rule the entire group of Israel, that it was too much for him. And so he set up this hierarchy, the system of judges. And so the judges on top, he would talk with them about their cases. And he would show them what it meant to be a good and just and wise judge. He spent time with the elders of each tribe, kind of showing them what it meant to be a leader. He spent time with Joshua because he knew even if he didn't know the details, that one day he's going to go up a mountain and he's not coming back down and someone else needed to lead these people into the promised land. So Moses spent time with Joshua, not to show him how to be like Moses, but to show him how to be the leader God wanted him to be. If we look at Elijah, one of the things the still small whisper tells him is that he needs to go and find this, this rich farmer and help him to become the next prophet of Israel. And so he goes and finds Elisha, and, and Elisha walks with him, spends time with him, and Elijah teaches him what it means to go into that role, teaches him what it means to be God's prophet. If we look in the New Testament, you know, Paul, when he's still really kind of just Saul, just a Christian, and everyone is terrified of this man, because before, when you're in a room with him, it's because he's arresting you and you're probably going to be executed. So none of the Christians want anything to do with this man. And Barnabas takes him under his wing and shows him what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to be a part of the community. How many people in the New Testament did Paul turn around and do that same thing with them? How many people were influenced because Paul, Paul raised them up as leaders? And it continues past the Bible. There's, there's a man named Polycarp who was one of the early Christian fathers, early Christian writers. Influenced a lot of that second generation Christianity, that, that one just past what we have recorded in the Bible. And I paid attention and remembered him because his name is Polycarp and it stands out. But he, he was discipled by John. You know, John from our passage here. It's relationship that helps us to grow, that helps us to be changed, that helps us to become those disciples that God intends for us to be. Because on our own, on our own there are times when it, when it gets hard and we just back off a little bit. Where it becomes difficult to follow Jesus and, and we just, we shy away. When you're walking with someone else, when there is someone there to guide you and encourage you, it helps you through those parts. It helps you to grow in ways that, that you wouldn't even think about on your own. It helps to have the voice of someone speaking the word of God into your life. 
and to be that person. Not, not that they can say, oh, this, this person looks like Pastor Matt, or oh, this person looks like Mr. Flynn, or this person looks like, like any of those other people that, that ended up shaping my life. No, ultimately, because, because when you're discipled in a Christian way, these people help you to look like Jesus. Not to pattern yourself after them, not to be them, but they help you to be the man, the woman, the, the person of God that you were intended to be. And when we think about how that happens, a lot of time we get bogged down in, in the structure of it and the form and the organization. Sometimes, sometimes it happens in a group. Sometimes you have 10 or 12 people around you to encourage you and support you. Honestly, if we're going to be you know, realistic about structure, it probably doesn't happen much in a room of 400 people. It, it's impossible to be discipled well in that setting. It has to happen in a setting where, where people know you on a real and deep and meaningful level and you know them so that they know what it is that's going on in your life and they know what it is that's, that's happening in your life and where God is leading you right now. And they can ask the questions that need to be asked because they, they know, they know the walk that you've been walking. So when we talk about community groups, when we talk about Bible studies, when we talk about groups that happen on campus, the big thing to look for, the big thing to think about, am I being discipled in this, in this setting, is are these people purposeful and intentional, and are they involved in seeing me grow into the person God wants me to be? Are these people who have those conversations with me? Do we talk about, about what God is doing in our lives? Because if you can sit down with someone else and have them ask you those questions, even when it's hard, that's, that's where discipleship happens. It's okay to get together with a group of friends and, and just have fun, and I think there's a place for that, and there's a setting for that, but that's not a setting for discipleship. That's not exactly where, where we purposely and intentionally start growing in our walk with God through that setting. Sometimes we think about more of a, an individual basis, or you know, a, a triad, a group of three, or, or a mentoring thing where it's one person on, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And we think about those things as mainly happening when, when someone's in a struggle, where there's a crisis in their life. And mentoring should happen then. I mean, that, that's a time when we do especially need someone to walk with us. But honestly, that's, that's not typically what we see with mentoring in the Bible. That's not the relationship we see here. Joshua was fine. I mean, he wasn't going through any big crisis other than the fact that he's about to lead these people. But he's, he's not struggling at any point. You know, Timothy, Timothy was doing fine in his Christian life. There wasn't anything major going on. He hadn't just, you know, lost his grandmother when Paul took him under his wing then. Mentoring can happen not just because of a crisis, not just in response to a situation, but, but to encourage growth at any point. Because we're always at a stage, at a point where we, where we need to grow, where we need to be encouraged, where we need to be you know, pushed just a little bit. When I first started here, I, I went from having those weekly meetings with Pastor Matt where I would sit down and, and get to talk with him all the time to potentially having like four or five mentors you know, over top of me at, at that point when you begin ministry. 
and that was a little intimidating. And, and truth be told, I just kind of backed off from that. I, I wasn't that interested in, in that many people telling me what to do. Um, when discipleship started coming up again, and, and when it started being something that God was laying on my heart, I saw the value of having someone there who could, who could be that person in my life or a group who could, who could be that group of people for me because we all need that. And so we, we came back from the conference in Orlando and I, within the week I was making a phone call you know, trying to get one, one lined up. And there's been a lot of value in that for me. This week, this week it's not so much a question to ask yourself, it's not so much the self-reflection, it's starting to be to the point where, where we're getting things in place. I want you to think about who the people have been in your life that have influenced you. My guess is, you know, probably not Michael Jordan. You know, probably, probably not some, some Hollywood celebrity. The people that have influenced you the most are probably the people that you've been the closest to. They're probably the people that you've been able to interact with and observe on a regular basis, right? Because those are the people who, whose lives rub off on ours. For Peter and John, that's, that's how Jesus influenced them, by having that connection, that relationship with them. Do you have those kind of people in your life right now? Not those kind of people who are going to encourage you to like a certain type of music or, or play a game with them or, or even go into a certain career path, but do you have the people in your life right now who are purposefully and intentionally encouraging you in your walk with God, helping you to grow in your relationship with him? It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a small community, if it's eight, 10, 12 people, or if it's, or if it's a one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Do you have that? Because honestly, we don't grow well on our own. We don't follow through well on our own. You know, we don't, we don't always ask the questions that need to be asked. We don't always take all those steps that are uncomfortable for us without someone there to, to walk along with us through those hard times. If you have that, if you have those people in your life Make sure, make sure that they know what it is God is doing in your life. Make sure that they have that in their heart and that they are following up with you on that. That they know how to pray for you as you're going through your week. That they know the things you're struggling with. That they especially know what it is God is calling you to do and the steps he's calling you to take in the future as you grow in your walk with him. Make sure that, that that group you have, that, that person you have is able to follow through, is able to, to be the mentor, is able to be the group that God is calling them to be. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, if you don't have a group like that in your life, this week, not, not sometime in the next six months, not this week, I want you to find that that's my challenge for you. If you do not have 
someone or a group of someones who are intentionally walking with you, intentionally encouraging you in your walk with God this week, I want you to get that in place. Because the longer out we go from hearing something, the less likely it is to happen. So if there's a group of people you have and, and you spend time with and you enjoy them and, and you respect them as, as, as people of God, go and have that conversation with them. You know, hey, I've, I'm really feeling convicted. I'm feeling like I need people to walk with me in my relationship with God, to challenge me, to encourage me, to pray for me, and to ask them if they would be willing to do that. If you have a, a person in mind, go and find that person this week and talk with them about that. Talk with them about what it means for you to grow in your walk with God and, and potentially how they could be involved in that. And ask them if they would be interested in, in taking that step with you. It is vitally important that we do not leave our discipleship to chance. And even more than that, it's important that we don't leave it up to ourselves. You know, that we have other believers to walk with us. So this week, this week make sure that you have that in place. And if you don't, seek that out. Make plans to, to get that going. Make plans to have those people who, who care about you, care about you in this way. Let's join together in prayer. Father God, we, we confess that we want to follow you, but also, Lord, we confess that there are times that we hesitate, and there are times that we stumble, and there are times that we don't take the steps that you're calling us to take. Lord, we are so grateful that you've surrounded us with a cloud of witnesses to encourage us, to inspire us, for us to be able to ask them questions and them to be able to ask us questions, for them to be able to, to push us where we need it. God, I pray that, that you would help us uh, to appreciate and to value even more those that you have placed in our lives, those that you have, have put there to help us grow, those that you have put there to, to speak your word to us. Lord, we pray that people would be able to look at our lives and, and through, through the working of your spirit, through the assistance and the guiding and the leading of our brothers and sisters, that people would be able to look at us and say, they have been with Jesus. They are growing in their walk. They, they look like he looks. They have, they have patterned their life after him. Lord, we're grateful for those who have influenced us in so many ways in the past. We pray that you would raise up those who would, who would guide us and walk with us and shepherd us and, and inspire us in the future. Uh, we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit.